you can think what you like. I'll never tell anyone what to think. Mm -hmm. It's how it affects what we say, what we do, our behaviours. Today's episode is super insightful. We meet the unconscious bias specialist, Lawrence Harvey, who talks to us about what drives assumptions and fight, flight or freeze responses and why schools should be focusing on training unconscious bias for the next generation. Enjoy the episode. Lawrence Harvey, welcome to the Happy Workplace Project. Thanks so much for joining us today. Wonder if we could start with you helping us understand how you got to where you are today. Okay, well, in a nutshell, the last 21 years I've been delivering sessions, workshops, talks on unconscious bias or understanding unconscious bias. Before I did this, I spent 12 years as a police officer in Northamptonshire Police. But I've been involved in learning and development for 30 years. That started just after I joined the police where I used to come off the streets from my general duties and train police officers, police staff in conflict avoidance, physical intervention, personal safety, and I now specialise in conflict avoidance and equality, diversity, inclusion sessions and training. And I know they might sound like two completely different subjects, but in essence, diversity is all about understanding, accepting differences in people. And if you don't, can't or won't understand or accept differences in people, that often naturally leads towards conflict. So for me, the two tie together quite well. And you'll always get conflicts at work, especially in large organisations. And what I mean by large organisations is where there's two or more people, you will get conflicts because you're dealing with human beings. We're all different. And bias and assumptions, understanding that, starts to get you to understand a little bit about what makes you tick, what makes others tick. And when human beings understand stuff, they're more able to do something more positively with it, I suppose. So let's just pull on that thread of assumptions a little bit. Where do they come from? How are they formed? This is all about human nature and what we naturally do as human beings that can sometimes go against the concepts of equality, diversity, inclusion. And what happens is our brains are wonderful things. Apparently, we are, our brains are making 4.5 million transactions a second. Wow. So you'll never be conscious of everything you're thinking, okay? So what we tend to do is we go with what's automatically natural. We are creatures of habit, yeah? We have our routines, and what we like to do is naturally, unconsciously reinforce those routines by reinforcing the neural networks in the brain to deal with all of this information, and the shortcuts in the brain become our habits, okay? So we're creatures of habit, and anything outside our usual or normal will trigger assumptions and biases, okay? So, and we tend to go with negatives first. So for instance, assumptions, bias, first impressions. If you see someone with a seven inch scar, right side of the face and a spider web to, to left side of the neck, what might you assume about them? That will either be positive or negative, often negatively. And that is there to basically to protect you. It's a natural inbuilt instinct there to protect you. If you think someone with a scar, spider tattoo is a potential threat, you'll go with a negative assumption, not because you're going to be nasty to them, but it's there to give that initial warning that something's not quite right, something's different. That gut feel, you know that gut feel yeah. you get? Yeah. That's, that's your natural emotional brain saying there's something unusual here. Just be more mindful. Listen to your gut, follow your heart, 
or follow your gut, listen to your heart, or some of those phrases that get sent out there. It's all about your gut feeling with you every second of every day, but you're not always conscious of it unless it's really unusual circumstances, okay? And the worst case are there is an actual physical threat going on. It's always there to guard against potential threats. So wherever there's a negative assumption, there's a chance to dislike. Wherever there's a dislike, there's a chance to be unfair. Okay, so what we think will affect our behaviours, what we say and do. So what we think affects what we say and do. And just on that note, are we more prone to have negative or positive assumptions? The natural response will be a negative. Okay. But it does work both ways. Okay. You know, you, have you ever been in two minds about something? Yes. <laughs> the, the, I think the brain works in two ways. Assumptions bias work opposite as well. So conversely, for instance, if I have a scar tattoo, Seeing someone else with a scar and tattoo is not that different to me, potentially. Mm -hmm. So I might go with a positive rather than negative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that means I might uh, interact with that person more quickly than I would with someone that I think is different to me. Okay. And that links to things like halo and horns. You know, the halo is the we look at the positive features in people or concentrate on the positive features. Horns would be concentrate on the negative features. You've heard of Fight, flight, freeze, yeah. friend or foe, they are technically the same thing. Okay. Are they a potential friend? Are they a potential foe? We go with positives or negatives. And that links into what we do. We either fight, flight or freeze. And flight is being a bit more standoffish. Worst case scenario is you flee to, to, to stay safe. Freeze is where you go along with things, acquiesce, do something you don't want to do to fit in keep the peace. Now, very rarely will we fight. That's our least natural place to go. That's because that's where we get hurt. And fight in this context is, fight is where you need to go to have awkward conversations, okay? We all have to have awkward conversations. Do we like having awkward conversations? No. And that's because naturally it's the most awkward place to go. So when it comes to the workplace, it's about recognizing what are you thinking? Who, are you, who is it really about? And not letting it affect what we say or do. You can think what you like. I'll never tell anyone what to think. Mm -hmm. It's how it affects what we say, what we do, our behaviours, in a nutshell. So how does somebody become more self-aware of not acting on the thoughts that they're having? Are there any tips or tricks that you could give us? Yeah. You'll never be conscious of the 4.5 million transactions, okay, which are, is going to have potentially 4.5 million assumptions in it, really. <laughs> but I think a lot of this, and what happens in, in the sessions that we do is, this is all about, firstly, you recognise and understanding you're making an assumption, why you're making it, and accepting you're making it, okay? Mm -hmm. You might never understand why you're making an assumption, because that could be driven by, you know, many things that are imprinted upon you, you don't understand. So it's about accepting assumptions. What I find is when you get to the point where people recognize they are making them and it affects what they say or do, you really need others to have that same knowledge and understanding to really help you recognize what you're saying and how it's influenced by an assumption because- Through people will say things and the classic this morning was, uh, someone made a comment about interviewing someone that had blue hair. Yeah. They went through the interview process and there was a discussion about their blue hair and someone not liking their blue hair. Now, at that moment in time, it's about bringing to that person's attention what have they said, why have they said it, to explore whether there's a like or dislike within that. 
Understood. And just thinking this through, what role does previous experience play in forming these assumptions in that new situation? I always say, I mean, there's a myriad of things that influence assumptions and biases. I always say ex previous experiences, okay. background, upbringing, culture, relationships, environments, all those things influence your assumptions and your assumptions influence those experiences and everything else. They then become your values and attitudes and it's attitudes that affect behaviours. And I've just remembered now about the positives and negatives. This is where friend or foe likes or dislikes. We tend to go those extremes. That's where if you're honest and you think about work, for instance, we'll all have people at work that are our favourites and there will always be people at work that we think we don't like. That's just those two extremes that we've got within us. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. What I want people to do is be conscious of what they're thinking. Then they're able to manage what they say or do and make sure things aren't unfair or unfair through favoritism. Because those likes, dislikes affect recruitment selection decisions, the questions you ask. They affect how you deal with members of staff with regards to return to work, conversations, dealing with their performance capability. So what you can find is sometimes We've got a consistent message about we will have a return to work conversation with you after absence. But then as a manager, do you always have a return to work conversation with everyone that's been absent from work? In the same way. Yeah. Or do you yeah. actually only have a return to work conversation with the people you think you don't like but don't, are not conscious of you don't mm -hmm. like? And those that you think you like, they're okay. So we've got an inconsistency of management. People will notice that. They won't always tell you because of you're the manager, there's that perceived power, because power also influences what we think, what we do, and why we do things. But what you'll do, then do is your inconsistent management means you're now potentially leading a culture where people are seeing unfairness. No one's questioning it. No one's making it known. If people don't say anything about it, we naturally assume everything's okay. And before you know it, you can have a whole team or department where everyone's just going along with stuff, they're not happy, not talking about it, and that really does affect team dynamics, efficiency, effectiveness, advice, guidance, support with each other or your customers. So we have a lot of senior leaders and business leaders that listen to this podcast. You obviously talk there about power. Could we just expand on that a little bit in terms of how somebody be could become more self-aware of the powerful position that they're in? and maybe some of the things that they can do to create more of a psychologically safe environment? I always say people with any responsibility over someone else, whether that be line manager, supervisor, CEO, managing director, anything like that, they need to be mindful of behaviour affects behaviour. Batara's mm -hmm. box, my attitude affects my behaviour, that will affect your attitude, affects your behaviour. Before you know it, you're going negative downward spiral. So this is all about people with power, understanding what they're thinking, who it's really about, managing what they say or do, and breaking negative cycles. So we need to be in more positive cycles, but human beings are very good at going to the least, the least efficient way of doing anything. You know, we, we gravitate naturally to the negatives often. You've been in a room with 11 people, all happy, one person walks in without saying anything, look miserable, everyone else is miserable. Who drops. You know, that, you know, yeah. that, the herding, the, the, the stuff that affects others. So I, there's three key things for me for people with power. They need to lead by good example, identify inappropriate behaviour when it occurs, and take prompt action to stop it. So we start to 
reiterate boundaries, and they're normally setting your policies, the boundaries, the responsibilities. Policies are there to stop us breaking employment law, and so it's all about being proactive every day, rather than human beings tend to be reactive. And then if we don't like what we're reacting to, we naturally put it off, which is flight from the situation. Then it gets more complicated. What do human beings do with complicated things? Avoid them even more, or end up just going along with it, which is freeze, yep. and no one's saying anything awkward. You know, it's, as soon as you get a feeling something needs to be checked, challenged, or queried, or questioned about what someone said or done, it's trusting that gut and having the faith and trust in the culture and the people within it to be able to say, what do you mean by that? Or you said this, why did you say that? We've spoken about the business from an internal perspective there. What we're seeing in the market at the moment is that employer brand is absolutely critical when it comes to attracting talent. So could we just shine a light on the interview experience through the lens of everything that you've just spoken about. So somebody's coming to interview with the organisation. How do we mitigate the bias, reduce the amount of assumptions and create an environment where they can perform at their best in that conversation? Lots of different things there about people coming to the organisation for interview, etc. Technically, it's all about thinking that you've anyone coming to your organisation for an interview is technically going to be an enemy <laughs> coming onto your territory. Yeah. And they are technically the outsider coming into this team or tribe. Mm -hmm. you, know? you will have cliques and tribes and teams at work because people naturally gravitate to people they, they like or are like them. And nothing wrong with cliques, tribes, it's natural human behaviour as long as one clique, tribe's not unfair to another clique, tribe's all about behaviours. So I'm a great believer in that you've got to be really honest, open and upfront with candidates. Anyone interviewing should have knowledge and understanding about bias. They've got it, accept it, be conscious of how it affects what we say and do. They should all be uh, at that interview to interview someone in the right frame of mind. So many times I go into organisations, they say, I can't come in to the session today. I've just been asked to go and do an interview. We're taking them from their norm into a and we don't, what frame of mind are they in? Do they really want to be there? Are they in the right frame of mind for that candidate to really listen to them? Because if our assumptions are all about us and our survival, technically, they're all about you. Okay, So accepting that our assumptions are about us, not others. So we need to make this interview about that person. So it's about frame of mind. I think you've got to think, be honest with the candidate. You've got to say, this is an unusual environment for you. It's a usual environment for us. We're okay here. We're happy, we know it's all right, you're new. So we want you to accept that we recognise that. It's going to be nervous for you. It can be awkward, frustrating, which is the emotional brain, the emotional, rational brain, amygdala, limbic system, what's behind the assumptions, fight, flight, freeze. So it's about, this, is, this interview is about you and your skills and abilities. We will be driven by you and your speed, anything at all you want to ask, anything you're unsure about, please feel happy to ask us. We have no rush here. We've managed time. We're going to give everybody the same amount of time. 
we're going to ask everybody the same questions for consistency. So it's putting, trying to get from the point they come in, someone giving that little bit of a nurturing, really, mm -hmm. getting them to feel at ease before they go through to this room where they've got a panel of one, two, three, four, five people that have the power of uh, giving them a job. And jobs give us money. We need money, especially now, to survive. That's becoming more difficult. So we're dealing with people's ability to survive with jobs and work and money they earn. You mentioned the word panel there. Could we talk a little bit about how, ideally, that interview would be structured from who would be sitting on the other side of the desk, how many of those people, what their demographics may look like, etc. I'm a great believer that there should be a minimum of three people and always an odd number, but mm -hmm. never one. Diverse mix of ages, races, characteristics, basically, I suppose, under the Equality Act for a start. They should not all be from the same department. I suppose an ideal mix would be if it's your department hiring, you might be there as the head of department, there'd be someone from HR and potentially someone from another department. So you've got three different viewpoints of diverse people that are able to give you some honest, impartial feedback with regards to how you might feel about this person in your team compared to them not having to think about this person in their team. And also, a different power dynamics within that as well. You don't all have to be of the same power, but if you've got three people of different power dynamics, then at least when it comes to discussing candidates afterwards, it's not just me against you or you against me. There's a third party that can get involved. Yeah. If we get to the point where we just can't make our mind up, we've got a casting vote, we've got a majority vote rather than a 50-50, and I'll go with the boss to keep them happy because when they're happy, I'm okay, I'm safe, I will survive. So that's a little bit of how I think the, the setup should be. And if I said to you the words culture fit, what's your immediate reaction? Well, the word fit gets mentioned a lot in the sessions that we run. Mm -hmm. People, have you ever discussed candidates after an interview? And we say, well, do we think they will fit into the department? What we're technically really saying is, are they enough like us to be liked? Mm -hmm. Because we like things to be usual and normal. Also, if you think, ah, will they fit into the team? Technically, I think you're, you're going with compatibility to your team rather than capability of skills. So it's about you as a candidate and your skills. Then we recruit the best person with the best skills that we've got evidence of for this uh, situation or role. And then you, you, you're recruiting capability rather than compatibility. If you recruit for compatibility, you're potentially going to set them up to fail. I think. Or the other way of looking at will they fit into the department is we're often making assumptions about what will our people think about this new person coming into our tribe. You talk a lot about how it's all about you. Can you expand on that and, and tell us why? Well, it's all about you staying alive. You know, if we did not make any assumptions or we did not have any biases, technically we'd be dead because we wouldn't be aware of these potential dangers that are around us every second of every day. Now, I know this is not about your boss coming in with an axe because they're fed up, they've not hit the targets. This is about every second of every day, 
that phenomenon is, is with us. The emotional, rational brain is just constantly in a little balance like that, yeah? But it's always ready to just react and emotions take over anything that's different. So uh, you're sat at home, winter night, cosy, warm, watching Bake Off, Remans, whatever you're doing, yeah? And there's a loud bang in the kitchen. You sit straight up and your heart goes. Yep. That's the emotion kicking in, adrenaline rush happening, waking you up to get you ready to run out of the window or jump out the window to get you to go and check what's going on or just shut that door and get out. Yeah. yeah. So it's always with us. So bias and assumptions is all about you. You don't recognise that though until you take time to stop and think and recognise and be conscious of what you are thinking. Because day to day, all that information, pressure of work, everything else, we just get on with it. So that's why in any of the sessions I do, I know after the thousands of sessions I've done in the last 20 years, you need at least, with regards to my sessions, you need at least an hour and a half to really get people to end up stopping thinking, being conscious of what they're thinking. And you've heard that saying, think before you speak. Why well, I, I just want people to think about what they think before they speak. So we're going a little bit deeper than usual. Yep. And you then start to see people picking their words or you start to see people going quiet and actually recognising they don't need to say anything. <laughs> they just need to pay attention to what's going on and get on with their work, really. So, Lawrence, in the spirit of everything being all about you or all about us, I'd like to talk about you for a little bit. Could you tell us a bit about your personal values and why they're important to you? I see so many companies, organisations. We've got our values. And our value, every values list I've ever read makes complete, absolute sense. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to making that happen in the workplace, common sense is not always common practice when you get human beings involved. So it's about making those values live and breathe. They're not just words, tick boxes, it's making those live and breathe. Personal values, do you know what? I, I suppose for me personally, a key value that I feel is really important in my life is honesty. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to a personal situation where, to cut a long story short, I did not see my twins for seven years properly because of what is now termed parental alienation, prevalent. And I suppose for me not wanting to upset the apple cart too much early on because it was awkward anyway, I wasn't as honest as I could have been early on with certain people. And I've learnt since then that I will always have the awkward conversation as soon as possible before it gets complicated. And it's about not missing that opportunity. If you don't say no, others assume it's okay. And that could lead lots of different people on long relationships or experience with each other that are technically not setting good foundation. What's the most difficult decision you've had to make in your career so far? About 14 years ago, we were a small business. There were two people in the office full time. There were 
eight or nine associate trainers delivering our sessions across the country. And we wanted to build the business. We wanted to get someone specifically in for sales. So we recruited in threes. <laughs> we recruited in threes, made a decision on someone that actually turned out that I knew them briefly because they were friends of my mum and dad's friends, if that makes sense. Yeah. We took them on. They'd got 25 years experience in sales in a large insurance business, did all the right things. We were happy with everything. Took them on. And to cut a long story short, they just did not perform from day one. And so one of the hardest things firstly was to have those conversations about performance. Also, being patient with advising, guiding, supporting, training, developing with regards to our systems because they've gone through change. I recognised, and this was confirmed by the person later, that they were in a massive business where they were one of about 200 salespeople. They were now one salesperson in a business of four in the office. Yeah, doing everything. And not that they were hiding before, but they could hide in a bigger group. Hmm. Whereas in here, they couldn't hide. And so what they were doing was noticeable every second of every day. And however much we supported them, it just was not going to work. And one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I, I think back, that I've been involved in some interesting things where you've had to make lots of big decisions, was literally following process and having to sack them. And that was one of the hardest things I've done is actually sack somebody. But there's a saying in business, it's not the people that you fire that make your life a misery, it's the people you don't fire. And in lots of large organisations, I know there are people that we all know potentially should not be there, but no one's ever done anything about it through flight or acquiescence and freeze. And the awkward conversation's not been had and everyone's moaning about them, but no one's telling them. So they actually assume everything's okay when it's not. Following process though, to do that is a key thing, really. And giving people the chance and opportunity because it's frustrating. We had all these plans, they weren't working. We had to remain patient and still be in that frame of mind to support them. But once you've supported and given the skills, if they still don't do it, then we've got a capability issue as well as a performance issue. So they had to, that was one of the hardest things. Yeah, I can still remember sitting down where we were and how I felt and how upset they were. But if I hadn't, it would have been one of those relationships, the journeys that had gone on that I mentioned to before really. What subjects do you think schools should be teaching their pupils about right now to help prepare them for the future? Couple of things, firstly, I think schools and educational establishments should actually be, in, be doing more learning for their staff about unconscious bias first. I'm amazed at how many schools the staff do not know what the nine protected characteristics are when they have liabilities under the Equality Act. So I really do think that teachers need more information about what their biases are, how that affects teaching and educating the diverse pupils in their classes. For me, at this moment in time, I think one of the key things is life skills. You know, the number of times I've had my children come to me and say, maths, why am I doing it? When am I going to ever use maths? 
why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know that? Well, at this moment in time, you need to know how much you're earning, what your expenses are, what the outgoings are, what your direct debits are. <laughs> so for me, that needs to start really early on. I, I work in schools, further education and higher education. And it's the grounding right at the early times where you need that broadest scope, I think. But then we've got governments and changes of governments that reprioritise what the curriculums are. People skills is an interesting one. Mm. And what I mean by people skills is people are the most important things in business and schools. The most important to think about people in your living room at the time. So getting into that people stuff is interesting. What's your ultimate life goal? I suppose to try and go through life from now on without having re any regrets about what you've said or done. Okay. So just really thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it and who it's for. But obviously that might be my life goal, but there are people around you in your life, aren't there? And so there's always an obstacle <laughs> or, or a bit of compromise or yeah. yeah. So, but at least if I think that way, I'm going to be more able to do that, I suppose. And when it's all said and done, what would you like to be remembered for? I've had some awkward stuff happen personally lately. I know that that's been none of my fault, if that makes sense. Yeah. And people do play blame games. It's always someone else's fault. You know, but often do we actually recognise actually it was probably me. <laughs> so let me correct myself and say sorry. And e even recently, people have just said to me, "Do you know what? You are just a nice bloke." Now, whatever that word "nice" means, I am what I am really, and I just want people to just think, "Well, he was a nice bloke. You could have a natter with him. He was all right. Good egg. Wish I could see him again." Love that. Lawrence, we're on to the quickfire round. We've got nine questions to ask you. The first one is, what's something that you've achieved that you're proud of? Always been in bands, always been into my music, and found out recently on YouTube, I'm there from the age of 15 and a half. You can listen to antibodies doing mind walking through to the lame dogs 20 years ago doing their own composition, Ain't That Bad. Fantastic. What's one word that best describes you? Positive. How did you react to your greatest failure? Very emotionally, off work for six months, learned a lot about myself, won't happen again. Brilliant. What's something you regret that you would have done differently? Links back to not having the awkward conversation earlier, more specifically with certain people before it got complicated. What do you like most about yourself? that I'm always enthusiastic. And what would you say is your biggest area of development? Personal thing again, recently, someone very close, diagnosis that affects their emotions and the way they interact with people. And I've really had to start working on my patience and I still need to keep working on that patience. And I'm, through doing that, I'm really seeing things differently as well. Tell us about something that you're passionate about. I'm really passionate about the work I'm involved in. The biggest passion is working for fairness in the workplace 
and outside the workplace by just getting people to manage what they say and do, just to make the place a bit more inclusive and patient and loving. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It came from me in the police role, and that was trust your gut instinct. Because your gut's never wrong. So just trust it. What's one book or podcast you'd recommend for our subscribers? Each chapter's about one or two pages, and it's How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive by Harvey Mackay. Fantastic. Lawrence, thanks so much for your insights today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me, Darius. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to like and subscribe and help us share the podcast.